This episode is supported by Manscaped. Manscaped have kindly agreed to sponsor the podcast from the 1st of January to the 31st of January. Between these dates, you can use our promo code GTM to receive 20% off products and free worldwide shipping. January is a great time to get on these products as they have a massive January sale. If you've not heard of Manscaped before, then add the leading company in male grooming for in and around your family jewels. Manscaped have kindly sent me their Perfect Package 3.0. In this package, you receive their Lawnmower 3.0, which is a trimmer perfectly designed for your nevy regions, so you no longer have to worry about snagging the bag. As a listener of Go In The Match, you get 20% off and free worldwide shipping with our promo code GTM. Head over to www.manscaped.com to grab yourself an absolute bargain. Welcome back to the Go In The Match podcast. Today, I'm joined by football expert Julian Lorenz. Julian has been working in football media for many years now, including BT Sport, ESPN, Five Live and the Totally Football Show. He's also a massive PSG fan. Julian, thanks for giving me your time today, mate, and come on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to it. Okay, so I want you to take us back to your childhood. Where were you born and how did your love for Paris Saint-Germain begin? I was born in Paris in the, uh, the 12 arrondissement, which is a Bastille for the, for the listeners who've, who know the, the, the capital, the city. Uh, pure Parisian family, you know, and, and um, my dad already was a PhD fan. So it took, took me really young. I think my first game was 84, I think, in the UEFA Cup against uh, Videoton. So not that I remember it or not. I don't think anyone remembers because I don't think it was a very good game. But, but yeah, that's where he was. I think the difference between Paris and I guess a lot of other big cities um, like, like yours, like Liverpool, uh, is that we only have one, really one team. Uh, when I was growing up, there was Matra Racing, who, by the way, my, my dad worked for. Um, right. despite, yeah, despite being a PSG fan. But they, they, they were great for a time and, and signed all those great players. And then they disappeared completely because money wasn't there. So, and since we've had teams like Red Star, like Paris FC, who are in second division, third division, uh, but, but not, nothing as big as, you know, two huge teams in the same city so maybe maybe that's why it was just Paris it could have only been Paris anyway PSG to be fair so yeah so then I went to stadium with my dad and then later on when I was old enough and big enough I could go I was allowed to go with my friends and and then working as a journalist you know I I I try to stay objective as much as I can although even sometimes I'm not on purpose you know for the job and, and yeah to, to be a bit of a spokesperson I think because I, I think it's fun to do the, to do it that way but but yeah, the, the love for the club, I just kept growing and growing and growing and growing. Even when they were bad and they had no money, I was there. Uh, I was there at Social when they almost went down to the second division in that in that season. So, or seven or eight seasons. So yeah, I was I was there in good times, like it is now, great times, like it is now, but also in really bad times. So, have you got any memories of being a kid going to watch PSG and? You know, I think with every podcast I've done, the amount of people that have said going up the stairs and seeing the ground for the first time, do you still have those memories now? Yeah, the first real memory, I think it was the Juventus game, maybe in 88 or 89, something like that. <clears throat> Before that, I, I've got flashes, but not nothing. You know, I don't remember goals, for example, but that, that game, I remember the goals and, and everything. Um, and, then, and then some iconic games where... Either I was watching on television, but being there for the, the PSG Barcelona game, for example, in 95 in the Champions League was incredible. I mean, this was a, it was not the best of Barca team, but it was certainly an incredible PSG team with Ginolan yeah. and Wea and Rai and Guerin and all that. They had French internationals. They had 
top top world class foreign players as well. It was it was it was a great period in the history of the club, and and I was 13, 14, 15 in those years, and being able to go to the Paris France on my own as well because I was old enough then. Yeah. Uh, to watch that team, those players. I mean, Ginola was just incredible to watch as a 15 year old, so or 14 year old. So yeah, those those moments are very much there. Before that, nothing until I was nine, and then from nine to 12 it's a bit blurry yeah. and then 12 onwards is yes great memories so who would your heroes would have been growing up then it would be people like George Weyer and like you say Ginola would they have been your heroes then yeah Ginola was really the um, was the one for me uh, and then I was lucky enough to work with him as well on BT Sport and, right, and things yeah. like that and know him um, but uh, yeah I was playing in a, as a winger at the time when I was like under 13 yeah and you know, and that, he was he was he was the best. He was so elegant. He was so beautiful to watch. All the skills, the pace, yeah. and then you wanted to do the same. You know, when you were playing uh, on Sunday mornings, Sunday afternoons with your club. So he was one, and you know, you would, I would just watch. I would just watch him. And you know, despite Rai and and Wea and all the other talent that that team had, there were games where I would go only for him, really, because the idol. Oh yeah, and it was just it was those years, and, and even then when he moved to Newcastle after the '95 season, Still he was that was that was his best years really, and I think he was so good. And he was although he was not from Paris, he was from the south, uh, believe it or not, uh, and and came from from the west. But he was yeah, he he had something special. He he very much felt like he was one of ours when he wasn't. He wasn't really, but yeah, yeah. there was that. Sort of relationship between the Parc des Princes and him that was that was very special. So I've actually done PSG away before and been to the Parc. Yeah, yeah when uh, Liverpool played there in 2018. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Just, I've got to say, the Liverpool the team that actually won the Champions League that year. So uh, yeah. and to be honest, I, I wasn't really sure what to expect going there, um, but I was pleasantly surprised. Um, I love Paris. I think it's a great city. Um, it's expensive on the beer. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, it's a great, it's a great city, and you know that stadium. It was fantastic, and I, to be honest, I look, I look back now, and I think something that people probably perceive with PSG because they've got money now, that they haven't got an atmosphere, and that, that it's they almost seem to be this money ball club, and they haven't got that. When in actual fact, that that's not the case, and it was one of the best grounds and one of the best atmospheres I've been in. And then on the flip side too. I went to the game at Anfield when we played them. Um, and they're some of the best away fans I've seen yeah. at Anfield, if not the best. So do you, in your opinion, would you say that because of the money and the Qatari money that's come in, that that atmosphere for the fans and the ultras that you have there almost gets not looked at and considered? Yes, I think you're making a really good point. I feel like that is it's a young club. Although there was football in Paris before, I get a lot of stick from people saying, oh, but you know, your club is, is a day older than Alan Shearer and that kind of stuff. And I get it and I take it, no problem. It's fine. Not everybody can be like North County, you know, but yeah. <laughs> but, but, um, but it's always, not always, but certainly since I was, since I was going to the ground, you know, it was always a very intimidating atmosphere. Mm. And yeah. to the point that we had loads of troubles between our own fans, you know, we had people, fans dying, fans yeah. fighting with each other. So it was very toxic at times to the point that we we had a big plan to sort of like shift completely the atmosphere. You could not see it in your normal seat. We, we used to have those two cups 
Boulogne yeah. on one side, Auteuil on the other one. They tried to dis- well, didn't try. They dismantled them in a way mm. because it, it got too toxic and too too violent. So it's a, it's a long story. Not that we can do the whole part about that, but it's a long story between PSG and the fans, especially the ultras. Yeah, that they 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 were always great fans amongst them, you know. And and I think what we've seen in the latest years now. After the, since the ultras have, have been allowed back into the ground, is that kind of atmosphere where, you know, there's a lot of flares and flares are not allowed. So the clubs have been paying a lot of fines, but but that brings a lot of character, I think, to the to the stadium, which, as you said, is a beautiful stadium because it's so central and and you know it's it's almost on the um, the ring road that we have in Paris, the peripherique and all of that. I think it's beautiful, and I'm obviously biased, but 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 also. If you saw the, the 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 reaction from the fans after the Dortmund game last season, when the games was behind closed doors, the second leg of the last 16, yeah. where they they had to win that game to qualify, and that communion uh, with the between the ultras who were who were around the stadium at the on, on on at the bottom on the streets, and then the players who were on one of the balconies, yeah. and just that communion was something very very special, and I, and I really believe that that's. That, that really spurred on the players for the final eight in, in Lisbon for the rest of the competition and, and all of that, although it was probably not very safe with COVID at the time already. But still, there's that relationship between ultras. And it's, it's been a rocky relationship between the fans and the club. You know, I was at the training ground one day when, when fans were really unhappy in that season of 7 or 8 where they were really bad and almost went down, where they were throwing stones at the cars and... It was it was really bad, but this is a club that is really really loved by by its ultras, and I think they they're a very very important part. And you're right. I think some people say to me, "Oh, it's a plastic club," you know, blah 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 blah. Well, no, it's not. And if you if you'd been there or if you just wanted to know a bit more about the club, you would know that it's not. Yeah, I've, is it is that probably then quite annoying for you being a PSG fan? Obviously, you've supported them from a young age. You know, when they weren't they didn't have the Qatari money and stuff. And people do perceive them to be almost like Man City. You know, I, I think Man City probably do get a bit of a bad rep for not having a, an atmosphere like Liverpool. And like you say, I'm probably biased. But like you say, unless you actually go to PSG and you experience it and see what the atmosphere is like, you probably would have this perception in your head that there isn't an atmosphere just because they've got money. But that just isn't the case, is it? No, it's not the case. You're right. I mean, the atmosphere, the pound, the price. And in a way, you're right, is is incredible and you know there's not many clubs in France for example who have huge away support in in the country but they they do every time they go and they feel all the the away space that they're given sometimes it's a thousand sometimes it's a bit more it depends but they're always there and uh, and yeah unless you've been or or you but I think it's it's easy for people who don't like you know don't like PSG who, who don't like what Qatar are doing with their money which I can understand it's fine that's why I'm not it's not that I'm not bothered but I'm I think with age, I sort of like, okay, there's haters and they will hate. It's not, I've got got no problem with that. And then people who actually want this kind of discussion and I can tell them about what it was like in the 80s. Yeah. I'm happy to, and maybe that would change the perception of the club and that would be great if it does. It's like, it's like a few people are saying to me, those shirts, PSG shirts, they're, they're amazing. Now I want to like the club. But I don't really want to because of Qatar, because of the money, because it's a, it's a state club. And I, and I get it. But it's funny to see. And then people said to me, oh, the, the shirts are amazing. I had to buy one. And, you know, <laughs> and now I feel a bit like a fan. 
you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. and same with Poch. When Poch was appointed, I had a lot of people on Twitter saying, oh, I have to love PSG now because Poch is so likable and Poch is so good and Poch is this and that. So it will change. Hopefully one day it will change. But just on that, it was funny because uh, I met my wife here in London. And she's Welsh. And, uh, <laughs> and she, she, you know, she, she never bothered with PSG. But one day we went to Paris to see my family and I said, let's go to the Parc des Princes together. So I got tickets. And it was a game against Bordeaux. One, it was nil-nil. So she was like, she was dying. It was like, okay, this, <laughs> is there anything happening soon? We, this is probably 04, 05. Uh, and then the, the ultras, because of the, 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 the relationship they had with the club and the clubs already were thinking about dismantling them, they were on strike that game. So there was just no, there was just, there was, the fans were there, but no singing, no chanting, no encouragement, nothing. And, and she was like, is, is it always like this? Uh, what's, what's happening here? And I was like, no, I tried to explain. So it, that was a disaster. It was an absolute <laughs> disaster. I was trying to score brownie points by saying like, <laughs> I was trying to score you know, brownie points, say like, yeah, come, it's, it's great. It's an amazing stadium. This is my club. This is, you know, and then it was a complete failure, disaster. I was like, oh my God, she's never been again. <laughs> <laughs> so you brought up uh, Pochettino there, obviously. Thomas Tuchel's recently been sacked. You brought Pochettino in. And uh, PSG just got to the Champions League final, just gone. How would you sort of assess Tuchel's spell at PSG? And what are your what are your thoughts on Pochettino coming in now? I think I like Thomas Tuchel. I liked him from the beginning. I knew, obviously, what he did in, in Germany and Mainz and at Dortmund before. Um, and But I always... I was always a bit sceptical about if, if, if he could handle that dressing room because I, I never really thought he had the personality for it. And, and to be fair, he did quite well in his management with, with that team. The players liked him a lot. Yeah. But there's a difference between being liked with your play, by your players and still having them play the way you want, having the tactics that you want, which I think he gave up quite early and, and maybe quite easily in the sense that he had those, those ideas and he, he's a very, very good tactician. And yet, I think he felt like, okay, I've got two of the best players in the world in Neymar and Mbappe, and I can't really fit them in my tactical system. So you know what? I'm I'm gonna leave it, leave what I want to do tactically to just do what's kind of simple is okay, let's build everything around them too. You can give them the ball, they can work their magic, and then hopefully that would work and we can tweak things. And that's what he did. And I think it got him some success, of course, because you say, as you said, there's domestically they won and, and there's that Champions League final that he could have easily won. Yeah, you know, you play it again. If if Mbappe scored that big chance just before halftime, I think we win it. But in the end, we didn't win it, so it doesn't matter. Uh, but certainly this season, there was a sense that the performances were when it was not good football. And I think there's a there's a sense from the Qatari that okay, we spend all that money, we've got all those players, we have to play good football, we have to play well, and that was not the case. Okay. You lost to Marseille in the league at home for the first time in eleven years. You lost to Lyon in the league at home for the first time in 13 years. And I think all those things together, plus the very stormy Champions League group stage that almost, you didn't almost make it to the last 16. You did in the end, but you could have easily not done. Yeah. I think it was a bit too much. And therefore, this is the time, if we don't sack him now for the Christmas break, the winter break, and can bring someone in. They knew it was going to be Pochettino anyway, because they'd planned that before. This is now or never, and they really wanted it, and and that, that's what happened. I can see why he's brutal, and why people were like, "Wow, Christmas Eve, he just won four 0 <laughs> in the Champions League. They're only a point behind the leader in in yeah. Ligue 1. 
But I think there was too many factors that made it inevitable that he was going to get the sack. How, how do you feel about Pochettino now? And do you think he'll be able to sort of not tame, but be able to to watch over those those personalities of Neymar's and Mbappe's of the world? Do you reckon he'll be able to cope with that? Yes, yeah, so that's that's a question. I guess it, it could be similar, although it's, it's a very different personality to to Tuchel, you know. But but first on his return, I mean. I watched, I watched him play, I don't know how many times, you know, as yeah. a PhD captain. So I think he's very, very different when when one of your own or one of your former players, because he only stayed two and a half years. So it's not like, you know, when Stevie G is going to come back to manage Liverpool, this is going to be huge. Mm. So this is this is not that, that scale, but it's still, you know, there's, there's, there's a few yeah. similarities of one of your own, who was your club captain, who was loved by the fans, who loved the club, the club loved him back. For him to come back 20 years on, almost to the day when he first signed, I think there was a sense of destiny there. For me, it was great. Everybody was quite buzzing, quite happy. But you're right, there are question marks over can he can he can he implement his ideas to this dressing room again, similar to Tuchel. Although, like I've been saying in France a lot, this is a very different personality to Tuchel. He's far more political, yeah, more manipulative in 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 in, in many ways. Than Tuchel was. Tuchel, as he said just before getting the sack, he only wanted to coach. And he said in Paris, you can't do that because this is a club that is more than just football. There's a lot of politics, it's true. There's a there's a lot of influences everywhere. There's a lot of you know movements and stuff. And it's 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 hard. If you just want to be a coach, I'm not sure this is for you. However, if you want something a bit bigger, like like Poch wants, because Poch, I think, wants bigger thing than just being a coach. If one day Poch wants to be a success at Real Madrid, he needs to have that in him. In yeah. Real Madrid, you just don't go to coach. It doesn't yeah. work like that. And I think that's why I think he's a bit more suited to the job. But it's true. You know, will Neymar run as much as Poch wants him to? Will Kylian Mbappe be as disciplined and as uh, as listening as, as what Poch wants him to do? I'm not convinced yet. So, you know, I'm not sure that I'm not sure if that would be the case, if they would be willing to listen to, to do everything that he says. I think he might have to adapt a little bit. I don't know if the high press and really aggressive press that we saw under him at Spurs would work with those players. He's tried to do it. We saw it against Brest at the, at the weekend, for example. It was a bit, the coordination wasn't great and it was a bit like two pressing high and intensity and then the others behind were a bit, were a bit behind. Yeah. I think there's something there. So let's hope. Let's hope. Because why would you what would you not want to? If yeah. you're Neymar and Mbappe and you've got a new coach, someone like him with great charisma who's been there before at that club, although a lot of things have changed since. But but why would you not want to listen? And if he says to you, listen, we can win, we can win the Champions League, but let's try this way by doing this a bit differently, by you know, being higher up on the pitch, pressing higher, that intensity, the counter-press, recovering the ball, this and that. Why would you not try? I think you make a great comparison there with Gerard potentially coming back to Liverpool. And it almost seems a bit of a trend now with football clubs. You've got Lampard at Chelsea. Like you say, Gerard maybe coming to Liverpool. You almost feel like maybe Thierry Henry is in the MLS now. He might come back and manage Arsenal one day. Yeah, it's Doing, you know, Pochettino coming to PSG, I think you probably get a little bit more time and you almost get the fans on side for a little bit longer by having an ex-player and having that previous relationship. So... You know, but touching back what you said, then a lot of people may not be really into PSG that much. If you can see that he's bringing a personality onto the pitch in a relationship, people might start to get behind it a little bit more outside of PSG fans potentially. 
Yeah, you're right. I think that's a really good point. And I think he will get that. I think he will get the next six months, whatever happened. One, because he arrived halfway through the season. You know, he took he first training session was January the 3rd. First game was January the 6th. Then there was another game three days later. And then tonight, as we're recording this on Wednesday, there's the, the French Super Cup against Marseille as well, the big rivals yeah. tonight. So already he's like right in the middle of it. Yeah. So I think the next six months will be whatever happens, it'll be fine. Mm. After that, then you ex- you really expect things to, to kick on mm. and, and, and him to now be settled and have adapted and, you know, has put his message across and everything. And then you can really see it. But but yeah, you're right. It's it's a bit of that. Yeah, and, and like you said as well, the I think Poch can bring a, a sort of a different appeal to the club now mm. because of what he did in England before, even in Spain, I guess, to a certain extent. And with Tuchel, it was very different. And Tuchel is quite cold, you know, he's quite yeah. serious. And he was he was fun at times, but he was still very much Poch is, is a bit different, you know. This is this is the Latin. Yeah, you know, vibe and this is it and it's very so yeah hopefully I mean I, I don't agree with people saying oh Tuchel was was a mistake or Emery was a mistake you know they try things they brought things yeah of course in the end it was maybe not what they wanted because they wanted the Champions League and that's why the club is after that's the holy grail and and a bit like Liverpool with the Premier League 30 years on I don't know how long it would take them to get there yeah. I really hope that one day they will get there but so, yeah, of course, Emery and Tuchel in the end, because there was no Champions League triumph, were disappointing. But I don't think I don't think it was a mistake. And now let's see what Poch is. But hopefully it won't be a mistake and it'll be a success. So I can't have you on the podcast without talking about Kylian Mbappe. Uh, <laughs> outside, I knew that was coming. <laughs> outside the Liverpool, he's my favourite player. And he has been for a long time now. So you're going to tell us any any truth in the uh, in the links between Mbappe and Liverpool, and and I mean on a serious note, do you think do you think that Mbappe would work well under this Liverpool team under Klopp? Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's a great it's a great um, talking point. The fact that he really likes and he's a big fan of what Klopp is doing and what what Liverpool Football Club means, what it represents, the recent successes, of course, as well. It, would have been different ten years ago, but but right now, yeah, certainly there's there's no doubt that he would be really keen. Um, can Liverpool afford him right now? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think so. I haven't I haven't looked in details at the the numbers and the figures and the the state of the club financially, but but in the summer, even if he doesn't extend at PSG, and let's remind everyone that his contract in Paris finishes on June 2022. So this summer, there will be only one year left if he hasn't extended by then. But even that, it will still be around 200, 250 million euros in the whole package in terms of wages, commissions, transfer fee, everything you want. Um, So can Liverpool pay that this summer? I don't think so. Not in this current context, not with the pandemic. I'm not even sure they can afford a defender. This (laughs) Let alone Kylian Mbappe in six months' time. Uh, especially if fans don't come back, which looks more and more unlikely now. So, um, so that that's the thing. But if they if they if they could afford them, and if they can at some point, because again, what people have to st- and, and stop telling me or asking me is, it's okay if Kylian Mbappe extends his deal in Paris and stays for a couple of years. He will only be twenty four. Yeah, you know, he's only still so young that you know at twenty two. 
he can still spend another year or two in Paris and try to get the Champions League back home and all of that. And then he can go to Liverpool for four years and still yet be 28 to go to Real Madrid, for example. You know, anything. There's no rush. And it's not a failure for Liverpool if they don't sign him this month or in the summer or even the following summer. It can wait. Um, but, but I think that one day, certainly there will be a possibility if the money is there. Same with Real Madrid. Would he work in that team? Uh, now we're talking because... You know, and I've had people saying, oh, he's overrated, he's this, that. He's not overrated. He's no. an incredible talent. But he's got to improve. You know, he if he really wants to be a centre-forward, as in a proper centre-forward, playing in that central position, he will have to work on holding up the ball and his movement and his first touch and a lot of that. You know, he needs to stop maybe thinking at times that he can dribble past the whole opposition team because that's only Messi can do that, you know, yeah. and less and less now. So... You know, sometimes I still think that he wants to win the game on his own and that's counterproductive. So there's a lot of room for improvement there. Would Klopp improve him? 100%. Would Klopp want to work with him? 100%. Uh, I think he would be amazing in that team, I have to say. Um, but this is a team that would have to work a bit differently. If he replaces Salah or Mane or Firmino, you don't work the same as, as the current front three, of course. So, but uh, I mean, I think it would be amazing to see him at Liverpool one day. The... The later, as late as possible, please leave us, leave him with us a little bit longer in Paris. But, but then, yeah, I think it's inevitable that he would play for Real Madrid one day, probably that there's a chance he would play for Liverpool, of course, uh, and maybe others as well. I don't know, but, but what a talent he is. And I, I don't, I don't get people saying he's overrated. Yeah. I, I always get these people every time, like it's probably me more wanting it than it actually happening. I've always said to some of my mates, the United fans, Everton fans, like, oh, Mbappe won't come to Liverpool, you can't afford him, da-da-da. But you make a great point there that he's so young that he can, he can come to, you know, he can potentially win the Champions League at PSG, then come to Liverpool, win the Premier League, uh, do whatever in Europe for Liverpool, and then make his, the move that he really wants to, go to Real Madrid and spend, you know, plenty of years there. You look at Ronaldo, he's been around all the different leagues. Yeah. It's very similar, you're right. And, uh, and, you know, there's no reason why he couldn't come to Liverpool and, you know, and that... He's probably got aspirations of being the next best best thing. Of course he does. Yeah. And you look at Ronaldo, he's done it in different leagues. And he might look at, I know he, he looks up to Ronaldo a lot, doesn't he? So Yeah, yeah he does, yeah. He probably thinks of this very similar thing, doesn't he? So I don't think there's any reason why he couldn't expand his career as people think. Yeah, you're right. And I think it's, it's, it's quite fascinating because, you know, if you're PSG, you're, you're in a position where of the priority and they're saying it even before thinking about Messi or any any other recruitment is to 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 extend the deals of Neymar who expired at the same time as Mbappe's and and Kylian's as well, um, and and the Qatari is saying like even if they don't extend or even if Kylian doesn't extend, there's no way we would sell him next summer and then and so that what that means that then you're gonna let him go for free in the summer 2022. I mean that would be crazy. This is this surely would be. The, the, the biggest player we've ever had on a free, you know, at his prime or like, you know, at such a, a, that kind of age. So it's quite fascinating to see what will happen. They seem to be quite confident in Paris, certainly what they're saying, that both Neymar and Mbappe want to stay, or at least want to extend. You can also extend now and still leave in 2022. You know, it's, it's just that you don't leave your club with nothing, which I want to think that Mbappe, as a Paris-born and bred kid, you know, this is his hometown, this is his ho home club, mm. I don't think he would want to just leave the club with nothing. Yeah. So what the way I see it is he will extend 
maybe just one more year or maybe even just two more years. It doesn't have to extend for 10 years. Yeah. And then he will know that in 2022, for example, they will say, okay, we will, we will say the price is 150 and then whoever brings that, you'll be allowed to go or something like that. That kind of agreement, I think is very realistic, very possible that we leave Mbappe for another 18 months with the club being sure that there will be some money coming in when he wants to go. And again, I think we all know in Paris that he's not going to stay there the whole career. As much as we would love him to be uh, Maldini or uh, Steven Gerrard, mm. uh, we know that it's not possible. It won't happen. So, and, and, and I completely understand why. So, but if we know, okay, this is the plan. He extends, he stays for another 18 months or two years, whatever. And then he can go and then he will be even better and he will be even bigger and stronger and he can make you very happy in Liverpool and make people at the Bernabeu very happy or whatever. Then, then so be it. But I really want to believe, and that's me always being positive and maybe a bit naive, I guess, but want to. that's, that's a very possible outcome. He'd make, he'd make me very happy. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, for yourself, you've been involved in football media for many years now and you've live interviewed uh, players, managers of different sorts. Who's been your favourite interview you've done and why? Well, that's a good one. I mean, I was lucky enough to interview um, Diego Maradona, when he was the, uh, the, the Argentine manager, I was, it was not a one-on-one. It was with a little group of, of, uh, of journalists. But still, I mean, I didn't. I think, I, yeah, I was just sat there. I was in awe completely, in so much admiration. He had so much charisma and, and everything. I mean, I always tell the story that when, when Argentina, with him as a head coach, played France in Marseille, in a friendly in, in 09, uh, Le Parisien, the newspaper I used to work for, uh, sent me over because I, I could speak Spanish uh, well, I still can, but and and I stayed four days in in their hotel, which was not just close for them. It was it was open, lovely place as well, and just follow them, every, you know, every day for four days until the game. Uh, and it was incredible, just just to be around that team, you know, not super close, but still around, seeing everybody, like seeing how the players, including Messi and Aguero, were waiting outside the. Um, the, the room where they had lunch or dinner for Maradona to arrive. I mean, he was always late. No one, no one said anything. And then, but they could not go in until he was the first one to go in. And then he would, he would stand at the door and they would all like give him a kiss and hug him. Like, it was like father and, and all the children. It was amazing. And, uh, and I remember that training session where he was there with his cigar and they were doing free kicks and he had a cigar in his mouth and they would give him the ball and he would just hit the free kick. I don't know, 20 yards, top corner, cigar, top corner, puffing on the cigar. Top. It was just, I was like this. I was, oh my God, I swear to you, man. it was amazing. And so that was strong. And I was lucky enough to interview Zinedine Zidane on one-on-one uh, for what I hope could still happen, a documentary on his life. It's a bit on standby right now, but, and he was, because it was something that he'd agreed on, it was not like a press conference, you know, or, or an interview for, for ESPN or BT or that kind of stuff. It was something about him that he, he was a big, big part of. He was really relaxed and it was, it was something. And, you know, he's from Marseille. I, I, this is not the kind of stuff that I like usually, but he, I was, yeah, it was, it was amazing. How, just, I wasn't really going to ask this question, but it's just something that's coming into my mind now you talk about Marseille. How big is the rivalry between Paris Saint-Germain uh, Leon and uh, Marseille, because being from you know from England, and we probably don't realise how big that uh, and intense that atmosphere and rivalry is. How big really is it? Uh, it's huge. It's huge. But you know, it's not it's not secret that it was 
so fabricated by by the media at the time because obviously the two cities are so far apart. It's not yeah. like it's not it's not a derby in the pure sense of yeah. of the word. But there was a time where there were the two best teams, and you just had everything there. It was ready to build that rivalry and to to construct it and to make it really heated and stuff. And then in when they did that at the end of the eighties, beginning of the nineties, almost if like people had been waiting for it. And then he just went pff, mad, crazy on the pitch, tackles, hatred. And at the time, the French national team was was basically made of pretty much almost half of Marseille players, half of PSG players, and they hated each other. And that's why in the early 90s, we had no success whatsoever. End of the 90s, early, because the atmosphere was so bad within the national team because of that rivalry. Yeah. Uh, and on the pitch, it was crazy. Off the pitch, it was off the scale. I mean, the fights and everything between the two sets of fans. It was, it was, yeah, it was so toxic. It was, but it was, it was, it was, it was big for French football because it was like, okay, this is it. You know, this is what we also have to offer that huge rivalry. You know, Bernard Tapie and Canal Plus owning the two clubs all those great players that you had in, in, in both teams. Uh, and then, and then they would one finish first, second, first, second, all, you know, pretty much all the time. Marseille dominated for a long time. And then PSG were probably in the 94, 95, the best team in France, 90, even, even going to 96. So um, yeah, it was great. And I don't know if, I don't know if the, the Liverpool Man United rivalry is, is a bit similar in the sense that there was a time where there was no, that rivalry didn't exist. Mm. And then it got created. And obviously, you know, what Sir Alex Ferguson said when he, when he said, I, I want to knock them off the, the perch. I think that, that also brought that even more into the public eyes. Like, okay. And, and it was, then that was big again. So, but yeah, it was, it's huge. It's huge. And there's really the, the hatred and the, the tension and all of that is great. But, but yeah, it's, I think it's good to have. But it's not as authentic in a way than the Lyon Saint-Étienne or the Everton Liverpool, you know, of, or even the... Derby, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, the real Derby, the, the same city, or at least, you know, two counties close to each other, that kind of rivalry. So finally, the podcast is centered around going the match. So with every podcast we're doing, I want to end by asking what are your top three favourite matches you've either been to or seen? Oh wow! Uh, no particular uh, order. Yeah, so uh, they they there's been a lot. Uh, well, I can do work and as a fan all yeah. all together. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, one of them has to be the the PSG win against Barcelona. In, so uh, there's two. There's there's one against Real Madrid in '93 in that uh, UFA Cup game as well. That was that four-one win was incredible, and I had school the next day. Uh, <laughs> uh, this was. This was one of the greatest nights ever at the Parc de France. And same was the PSG Barcelona game in 95, the second leg again, the 2-1 win um, against Pep's team uh, and, and, and um, Cruyff's team. So I would go for the PSG Barcelona team as one. The other one has to be the uh, France-Brazil quarterfinals of the World Cup in 2006 in Germany because that day Zidane was, I think, the best individual performance I've ever seen, ever seen in all the games that I've covered or watched or where I was there. He was on another planet that day. And we're talking, you know, this was a Brazilian team that won the World Cup four, days, four years before that had Roberto Carlos and Ronaldo and Rivaldo. And this was, it was still a, a really good Brazil team. Yeah. But that game, 
and France won one nil. It's an assist from from Zidane on a, on a free kick for for Thierry Henry, but he was just incredible. Like really, really, we're talking like. He, he had, and he to had, be there, I think it was Frankfurt. He had to be there and watching, you know. And every time, and I was doing the uh, the ratings for the Parisian for that game, and I think he got nine out of ten. And we were very close to giving him ten out of ten, but but we never gave ten out of ten, so we gave nine. But you know, you're watching, and he does something. You go, oh wow, okay. And then, like I don't know, two minutes later, he does something even better. And you were like, first touch or a piece of skill or an amazing diagonal. I don't know, something special. You go, okay, okay, that, that 15 minutes was special. But then the next 15 minutes is even more special. And then the next 15 ones, and then the next, and then the whole 90 minutes, it was just unplayable. And I was like, wow. So Zidane has that game, that France Brazil 06 has to be there. Zidane was absolutely incredible. Was it? It's almost like he, his, he had hands on his feet, where his, his feet were hands. Like it was incredible. Like he had the ball on the string. That's the way I always remember watching him when I was younger. It was like the ball was always stuck to his foot. It was just like, he could put it wherever he wanted it. Yeah. And, you know, of course, there was at times he could have scored more goals, probably given more assists. And, you know, and the numbers, if you just look at the numbers, they're not great. And there's all those red cards. I think it's 14. You know, all that, the aggression that he had in him, that red card in the 06 final. And, you know, so of course, things with the talent that he had, he could have done better, I guess. But like everybody else, you know, we could all do better. Um, but on his day, really, when he, Turn it on. It was just incredible. incredible. So that has to be there. And then the third one, I will go for the 2011 Champions League final, the Barca Man United at Wembley, because I've seen I've seen Barca play. I mean, every game Barca played in England since '04 when I moved over here, I was there. Uh, apart from the Liverpool semi-final, um, the four-nil win, where I could not go. I was supposed to, but I had I, my I had a bad bag, so bad I could not move out of bed. So uh, you see, I watch on TV, but but yeah, I would go for that one because again, I talked about Zidane and, and one of the best individual performances I've ever seen. I think collectively that final, yeah, I mean they were out of this world. They were so good, and I think United got maybe the tactics wrong, but also because Barcelona were too good anyway. But the way Messi and Xavi and all those players played that night. I mean, it was 3-1, it could have been 6-0 and there would have been no debate whatsoever. They were so good. And and to see Messi at that level, and again, I was lucky enough to watch Messi live maybe, I don't know, 10, 12 times. Uh, and it's always, always quite special. But that night was, yeah, it was good. So I'll go, I'll go PSG Barcelona 95 in the Champions League. I would go France-Brazil 06 in the World Cup and I would go barca Manchester United in the Champions League 11. I think that's a uh, fantastic way to finish the podcast, talking about Man United getting beat in the final. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I knew you'd be happy with that too. So, you know. <laughs> just before you go, just a, uh, a massive thank you for giving up your time today and coming on. I really appreciate it. Pleasure, man. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed that episode and want to keep notified for future episodes, please make sure you subscribe, follow and share. And of course, leave us a five-star rating. You can now follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, all at Go In The Match to keep updated for future episodes and updates on the podcast.